Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to, to thank you for giving me this opportunity uh, for being here. It was, yes, your pastor that extended the invitation, but it was through your permission. And I hope that as, as, as together we, we fellowship and we listen to the Word of God, I pray that there will be a revolution in this church. It will spark. It will spark a renewal of our covenant with Jesus Christ. I want to start with a quotation from Ellen Gould White. And this is from the book, one of my favorite, Christ Object Lessons. It is found in page 302, the second paragraph. And listen to these words. The sin of the world today, she writes, is the sin that brought destruction upon Israel. Now listen to this. Ingratitude to God, the neglect of opportunities and blessings, the selfish operation of God's gifts, these were comprised in the sin that brought wrath upon Israel. They are bringing ruin in the world today. Ingratitude to God. Turn your Bibles with me back to our scripture reading. It was taken from Luke chapter 17, and I'll read in your hearing quickly. Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. And while you're looking for it, I will quote these words. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, this is speaking of Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, the Bible says, he said unto them, go shew yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, arise, go thy way. Thy faith, my brother, thy faith have made thee whole. Our message this morning is, where? are the nine. Where are the nine? Let us pray, Father in heaven, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. My rock, my strong tower, and my redeemer. Amen. When you read this narrative taken here from the book of Luke, you will discover that the life of Christ was now nearing a close. Jesus was now taking his last journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. The disciples were always next to him and the people constantly impressed upon Jesus. Yet the disciples understood that while the crowd followed Jesus, it was important for them to understand and to know that the crowd should not take 
him away from their presence. They were with him. Jesus wanted them to learn from him, so he led by example. And it came to pass, the Bible tells us in, in verse 11, that as he was going through Jerusalem, going on his way, he passed into a certain village. Ten men, the Bible says, met him. These were lepers. They stood afar off. We find here in this gospel of Luke, the only record of the cleansing of these lepers. It's the only place in the Bible where you'll find this story. This story itself, my friends, demonstrates an amazing miracle. Something that you and I can take and grasp as we see the power of God. And how, if he did this then, he can do it for us today. If you go back, you'll find that this wasn't the first time that Jesus had demonstrated great power. If you look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 12 and 13, you'll see a similar instance. And I'll only paraphrase here for the sake of time, that he went through a certain city and a man full of leprosy. He came and he's seeing Jesus, he fell on his face. This is Luke 5 verse 12, and he besought him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, can you make me clean? And then he put forth his hand and touched him. I wilt, he said, be thou clean, and immediately the leprosy left from him. So Jesus had a power that no one else had. He had the power to heal. And he demonstrated this because Jesus wanted his contemporaries at this time in human history to understand that he came not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus did acts of kindness and love so that through ages, those looking back at his life, would see that Jesus was a benevolent person, that Jesus was kind and loving, long-suffering. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. In fact, you will record that many times Jesus was condemned as one having the devil. Jesus spent time hanging out with the prostitutes, the wine drinkers. He mingled with people who were considered the scum of society because this is what Jesus was and still is today. Ever caring, affectionate, merciful to those who need him most. The narrative in Luke chapter 17, unlike the one we see in Luke chapter 5, was more powerful. In Luke chapter 5, he healed a man of leprosy. One man. Luke 17, Ten men, ten times more powerful. It was taught at that time that this sickness, leprosy, was the result of some particular sin. The Jews thought that. They, they, they taught in their synagogues and in their streets that if you had leprosy, it was something that you did. They, they thought and they taught that those who were inflicted with this deadly disease of leprosy, that God had inflicted that person specifically. In fact, it was considered the hand of God on you. What a concept of God. This was the same allegation of God by Job's three friends. The Job, you're, you're going through this because of some specific or particular sin that you have committed, 
And God is inflicting you with this. But we know this story very well. That it wasn't God. I'm here to say this morning. That despite popular opinion. God is not like that. It was necessary for Christ this time. To reverse this misapprehension of God. So Christ who came to take away the sins of the world. To save sinners. Took particular care to cleanse these ten leprouses, these lepers that fell by his way. This circumstance happened just on the outskirts of the village that lay between Samaria and Galilee. It is believed, and some would adhere, some scholars, that Christ deliberately took this path in sorting these lepers so that he could heal them. What a God! He entered into a certain village. This is verse 12 of Luke 17. He met the ten men there. They were in a company of ten. These ten men were considered a most distressing spectacle. They had a disease that was contagious. The lepers were made up of Jews and Samaritans. Leprosy, my friends, had no respect or no respect of persons. And it's had no prejudice as to who it would inflict. And it's interesting to note that, that this deadly and contagious disease at this time broke down the wall of separation between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. Uh, they were half-brothers, but they didn't like each other. In fact, they didn't speak well of each other. But those who had the disease, they, 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 found, they formed themselves in companies, and the, 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 the separation or the prejudice that existed between them was gone as a, on occasion of the disease. They stood here by the way and they saw Jesus coming. What a sight and what a spectacle. Lepers were not ignorant of Jesus. They had heard of his wonderful uh, acts of mercy, his kindness. They knew that Jesus was the healer. They understood this. And so the Bible tells us that they did not wait. And as they saw Jesus approaching, they requested that this master healer perform another act of healing on their behalf. They understood their situation. They were not blind to their condition. But they were desperate and they were in need of help. This was a crisis. They realized that their crisis and only their crisis required that help be offered outside of themselves. The disease was contagious, and this reminds of sin. Sin is like a contagious disease. When it inflicts, starts small, and it, and it grows, and it continues. And I'll tell you something about sin. It doesn't ease up at all. It won't give you a break. It won't give you a time for repentance. It will continue until you're dead. So they stood afar off. They asked of Jesus for help. They saw in themselves that they needed what Jesus could afford or give. And so they were humble in heart and they approached themselves to Jesus. Their unanimous cry reached the hearts 
of a loving Savior. They were cut off from society, yet they presented themselves as subjects of pity to Jesus. One songwriter says, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. Do you believe that this morning, if you've got a problem, that you can go to King Jesus and he'll hear you? The Psalmist David says, the Lord is nigh unto them. Psalms 34, verse 18 and 19. Them that are of a broken heart and saveth such of a contrite spirit. Many, the songwriter, the, the, the psalmist says, are the affliction of the righteous. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Pen of inspiration says that Jesus was a helper to the helpless, a friend to the needy. He had daily manifested compassion and love for the human race. We're talking about Jesus this morning. His heart was stirred, one writer says, with divine compassion. I don't know if you've ever been sorry for someone in a situation. It is nothing like this. Jesus had divine compassion. Far surpassing any pity that we can have on anyone. Luke 17, 14 said that when he saw them, he said unto them these few words. Not why do you have the disease? What it was that you had? No. He said, go shew yourself yourselves unto the priests. Christ sent them to the priest because you see, in the time of Christ, the priests were the judges of leprosy. You can find this in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. He did not tell them directly that they would be cured, but he simply told them to go and for them to show themselves to the priests. In Signs of the Times, June 25, 1896, the pen of inspiration said that when they had heard this word, they believed. That it meant their restoration. They knew what type of person Jesus was and what he could do. And they believed so immediately that they, they went. When they hastened to obey, they knew that Jesus understood the law and how their disease had ex excluded them from society. It was necessary for a cleansed leper to have the testimony for priests that he was clear of the plague. And so they went to the priests. So that the priests could declare them as they knew they would be healed, that they were in fact healed. This was a test of their obedience. For they knew that they had to go. And it was required for them to be obedient and this is what they did. Remember a story of one man by the name of Naaman? He too had leprosy. And he was asked to go and to wash himself in that dirty River Jordan. And he was only cleansed on account of his obedience. Is there a lesson in that for us this morning my friends? That sometimes when God asks of us to do something for our own good. Sometimes we want God to explain to us how he's going to do it. And Lord I want you to show me a sign. Rather than just being obedient to God and follow thus saith the Lord. Ten lepers went and on their way, the Bible tells us that they were cleansed. Not only were they cleansed, but they were made entirely whole. 
So if they had other ailment, ailments, if they had arthritis along with the leprosy, they were cleansed. This tells us about something about God. That when God does something, he does it perfectly. So they came and they presented themselves to the priests. He declared that they were free from every taint of leprosy. This is the part of the story that should interest us most. This is where the sermon starts this morning, my friends. This is the message of God to each of us within the hearing of my voice this morning. The narrative so far has been quite interesting. But here is where we need to take inventory of what took place after the cleansing. Luke 17, 15, we should never forget. Hear these words. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. It is quite obvious that he was filled with joy and thankfulness. It is obvious from his actions that he was determined to return and to find the wonderful healer in order to give this healer thanks for his restoration. How many times have God blessed us when we have asked something of him and we forget to tell him thanks? How many times? How many times have he answered our prayers and we are so excited for the blessing that we forget the blesser? This man, my friends, was more concerned about the healer than he was the healing. The Bible says that he returned to God to give him thanks for what the healer did for him. Christ had healed him of leprosy. Christ had healed not only this man, but nine others of leprosy. But none except the one returned, gave glory to God for what was done for him. Only one, my friend, one, my fellow believers, had feelings of gratitude. Only one felt his deep indebtedness to Christ for the work performed. Only one, my friend, returned praising God in greatest humiliation, falling at his feet, acknowledging with thankfulness the work that he did. Only one. This is remarkable. This man was a stranger, the Bible tells us. And it is sad because the Jews were in the best position to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. They had him. They had him from birth. He was now in his 30s. He was with them. He did many great works for them. He healed their sick. He fed them when they were hungry. You remember the stories. They had dead among them that he rose from the dead. Jairus' daughter, not only Lazarus. Wherever he went, the benevolence of Christ went with him. One woman had an issue of blood for years upon years, touched the hem of his garment and was made whole. His words of cheer 
and love and compassion went before him. The Jews had him. And it is a sad record in John chapter 1 where the Bible tells us that he came unto his own and his own received him not. Yet this stranger was a Samaritan. And this is interesting because the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. The disciples of Christ as Jews had been educated to hate the Samaritans. And this is why it was important for them to understand what Jesus was doing here. This is why he took this route to teach the disciples something. About something that was more valuable and dear to them. And Jesus would have them understand that there were many precious souls among the Samaritans who would not refuse to come to the gospel feast. Yet, he wanted the disciples who were with him to understand that this Samaritan, unlike the other nine Jews, had returned to give praise to God for what he had done. Jesus wanted the disciples to understand that the prejudice that the Jews had developed towards the Samaritan should have been broken and that at some point they, the Jews, his disciples would become apostles and that they would go to the Samaritans to preach Jesus of Nazareth. He made manifest the fact that this Samaritan was more susceptible to the grace of God and more appreciative of divine favor than the other nine. So he called this to the attention of the disciples. And when the question was asked, were there not ten cleansed? He was speaking specifically to the nine. And he asked, he was speaking specifically of his disciples, and he asked them, where are the nine? There are not found any that return to give glory except this stranger. This brings us to our church in this time, in this era. The last church of Bible prophecy, the Laodicean church. The Seventh-day Adventist church. I ask you this morning, my friends, are we grateful to God for what he has done for us? Is he asking in the Seventh-day Adventist church this afternoon, where are the nine? Revelation chapter 3 describes our church. Yes, our church. This church specifically. As a church that is lifeless. Cold. Indifferent. Yet, this church thinks that it is rich and increase in goods and in need of nothing. Acts of the Apostles Page 14, the writer says, God chose Israel to reveal his character to men. He desired them to be as wells of salvation to the world. To them were committed the oracles of heaven, the revelation of God's will. In the early days of Israel, the nations of the world, through corrupt practices, had lost the knowledge of God. They had once known him, but because they gloried, they glorified him, not as God, neither were thankful, the Bible says. They became vain in their imagination. Could it be that ingratitude is leading the church today 
away from God? Is it possible? Where are the nine? I asked this morning. Where are the nine? I want you to notice this. That the command that was given to the ten lepers was that they should go and to show themselves to the priests. Notice that the leper that returned was not commissioned to do so. Christ did not tell him to return back to him. Is it possible that Christ is expecting things of us that he's not asking us to do? I want you to follow closely here. Christ expected their return. For he said, were there not ten? Yet he did not tell them to return. Why? Some things must be done from the heart. I think t today is uh, February 13th, right? Tomorrow is the 14th, Valentine's Day, right? We give gifts on Valentine's Day to our significant other. We, do we tell them to get us gift and what gift to, to give to us? You don't. It will take away from the entire significance of it. Some things you don't tell people, but you expect. They were expected to return and to give God thanks, but it was supposed to be sparked by gratitude in their own hearts. We oftentimes as Adventists talk about the commandments and, and we say, well, you know, we keep all ten. What about the things that are not listed in the commandments? There's a song that says, I will early seek the Savior. Is it in the commandments? Is there a commandment that tells us that we need to get up early in the morning and spend time with God? You won't find that. Steps to Christ. Page 58. Write this one down. Read this entire chapter. The servant of the Lord says something here that is profound, deep, and strong. She says, who has the heart? With, who, with whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? Who has our warmest affection? Step to Christ, page 58, second paragraph. Who have our best energies? If we are Christ, our thoughts are with him. Our sweetest thoughts are of him. Who do we think about during the day? Are we thinking about him? Are we thinking about work and sports and other extracurricular activities? Who fills our hearts with thoughts? We long to bear his image, breathe his spirit. The next paragraph says, It is true that there may be an outward correctness of deportment without the renewing power of Christ. The love of influence and the desire for self-esteem, for the self-esteem of others may produce a well-ordered life. Self-respect may lead us to avoid the appearance of evil. A selfish heart, the writer says, may perform Generous actions. Bad people can do good things. Did you know that? Of course. I can give to get a tax break on my tax return. You know that, huh? By what means then shall we determine whose side we are on? Who 
has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? You think that might just be a spontaneous thing that uh, one in a million probably don't apply to us. But I beg to disagree. Some, some years ago, I was conducting a Bible study. And we were talking about the second return of Jesus Christ in this Bible study. And I was conducting the Bible study. And, and I asked a question in the Bible study. There were quite a few people there at the Bible study. I said, you know, uh, we're looking for the second return of Jesus Christ. We sing this song, you know, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Oftentimes, uh, we sing this in our gathering. And at that Bible study, I asked a hypothetical situation. And I made it very clear that this is not the case. It's, it's a hypothetical situation. You know what that means, right? If it is possible then. I, and I asked this question. I said, if the sacrifice, and note here, I said if, and only if. If the sacrifice of Christ, and I was asking the students in the Bible study, if the sacrifice of Christ meant that Christ would be fixed here, but you would get a chance to go to heaven and live and reign in heaven through the ceaseless ages of eternity by choice. Or you could stay in the sin-stricken world, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he would be fixed here and he would have to stay here. What would you do? I'll tell you this. Every single person in that Bible study said, I would rather go to heaven and spend eternity. Do you understand what I just said? If the sacrifice of Christ meant that he would come here and stay here, but you could get to go to heaven, what would you choose? Everybody said. You know why? Could it be that we are here, not because of Christ, but because we want to get to heaven? This was, a, this was, this was the accusation that Satan made against God. When the sons of God, we read in Job chapter 1, presented themselves, uh, the Bible says here, Job chapter 1, verse 11. And Satan answered and said, Doth Job fear thee for naught? He, he is serving you because you make him rich. Listen, you put an edge around him. Everything in life is in his favor. He's not serving you because you are a good and gracious and benevolent God. He's serving you because you're making things well for him or... He is anticipating living in heaven through the ceaseless age of eternity. That's what you do. And you know, Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, did this before the entire universe, before the angelic host, and before the unfallen world, that listen, God is not really who he says that he is. He is not good. He is indirectly forcing you to serve him because he is bringing you and he is buying you with gifts. That was his accusation. That you, God, have made an edge around him. You're giving him gifts. You're buying his love. And God said, really? The strongest evidence that God has, and the strongest power that he has, is evidence. He says, okay, let's put Job to the test. And Job says, though he slay me. He wasn't talking about Satan. He thought as they thought in his time that bad things was at the hand of God. And Job said, though he slay me, yet 
will I trust him. It is easy, my friends, to, to attend church and church services and have no love for Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 29. The writer says, Wherefore the Lord saith, For as much as these people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, they do honor me. But they have removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me. We don't, we don't love Jesus. We don't think about him. We don't, you know, sometimes we, I, I, I do. I don't know about you. I go off in la-la land. I'm just thinking about Jesus and I'm, you know, call me Alice because sometimes I'm in Wonderland. And I'm just thinking about Jesus and I'm, you, you know what I was doing last week? And I, I just, for a great period of time, I'm, I forced myself into thinking that I'm in heaven hanging out with God and we're going here. And, and I'm talking with God. I'm saying, you know, hey, let's go to this planet on this vacation. And I'm living in my life, a life with Jesus throughout the day. Thoughts of Jesus imbue my, it's all about Jesus, my friend. Who has our hearts? It was Jesus who said, these people draweth nigh unto me, just like Isaiah did, with their mouth. They honoreth me with their lips. But their hearts, which is in our head, their minds, because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart. So this is where our heart is. Their hearts are far from me. We could tell. Let me tell you something. I've got a little granddaughter. Her name is Malia. And my daughter is away. At Oakwood, my daughter is a, is a young mother, and she's at Oakwood studying, trying to finish her education. So uh, my wife and I, we're keeping the granddaughter, which is my daughter's daughter. And uh, we're trying to train the child. So, you know, Sabbath starts at sundown Friday, and it ends sundown Saturday. You know, last week, the little girl said, it's dark. Sabbath is over. Yay! We do the same thing. We watch the clock. And let's see. And the minute, you know what we do? We go to Google and see the exact time the sun sets. And we end the Sabbath as soon as that second hand tick sunset. Ingratitude, my friends. Very little thoughts of Jesus. We don't want to get to heaven because we don't want to get sick anymore. We want to build mansions, we are told. Don't really want Jesus. In Gethsemane, Christ suffered mental anguish. And guess what? The spirit of prophecy says that Satan was telling Christ while he was there suffering in Gethsemane. Desire of Ages, page 830. These are the words of Satan. He's, he's talking, he's whispering nonsense in the ears of Jesus. He says, and what was to be gained by this sacrifice? How hopeless. He's telling Jesus now, listen, you're wasting your time. You're dying for these people. It is useless. These people are ungrateful. They're ungrateful. Look, they, they're going to kill you. He said here, how hopeless appeared the guilt and ingratitude of men. And he was right because for the most part, men have been ungrateful. It is the hardest features that Satan, Ellen White says, pressed upon the situation. of the, You know, he was sweating great drops of blood. Satan was telling him these things. that Listen, these people that you're dying for, they won't mount to anything. My question this morning, where 
or the nine. We are those with gratitude to God. More than what he has done for you, but who he is. What about what he has done for others? Do we love him because he's kind and good only to us? Or because he is a good God? In closing, I'd like to read to you the last words of the last recorded prayer of Jesus before he left this planet. Our Savior's last words in his prayer to his father says, Father, and you know, when I read this, it kind of put tears to my eyes because I can imagine what he's going through. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where, you know, and I'm feeling a little funny here because you ever love somebody like really, really deeply? I don't know about you who have probably fell in love before. You love somebody with all your heart and they don't care about you. You, you know what that feels? It's, it's really a rotten feeling. You know, and parents, you know, you love your children and you, you know, you're trying to just give them the best and you're telling them to stay in school and, you know, you're disciplining them and you're giving them what you can, you know, without spoiling them and they're not reciprocating it and they just, they think you're the worst parent. It really, it, it, it kills your spirit. It kills you. And I can imagine what Jesus must have been going through because, yes, he had some who were not like that, but the majority of his contempt, most of the people didn't really care much about him. You know, after all that he did, he didn't. And he's pouring out his heart to his father. And he, he's saying here, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. You, you see what he wants? He, he wants? he wants us to be with him. You know, okay, fine. We, we know that he wants, you know, to make us whole and to save us. But you know, more than anything else, he just wants to hang out with us. He just wants to spend time with us and talk with us and, you know, and tell us that, you know, when you were going through this, I was right there. I know you didn't see me. And he just wants to have a relationship with us. And my friends, the, 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 the virgins that were wise, even though they all slumbered and slept, they were the ones that had a relationship. That's what the oil means. It means the Holy Spirit. They had a relationship. They talked with God. So Matthew chapter 25, you know, the church waiting for the bridegroom to return. Those who were ready were the ones who had a relationship. They were constantly praying with God. You know, I learned this from a pastor who was an associate pastor of a church some time ago. You know, and I, and I think he came to our church just for me personally. He taught me something that I'll never forget. It was many years ago, over 10 years ago, he said to me, he said, Brenton, I want you to practice this. I want you to learn this. Spend as much time with God in prayer as you can. He said most people do it the wrong way. They go on their knees and they spend long hours in prayer. And they, and like Ellen White says, we bore, we bore the angels of God, you know, with, with, with just repeating the same thing over and over. He taught me that I should include God in everything. So and this is what he taught me. This is what I do now. I get up in the morning, the first thing, even before I brush my teeth, the first person I talk to in the morning is God. When I'm leaving my house, and my prayers are not long, I'll tell you that. I don't offer long prayers, but a lot of them throughout the day. I leave my house, I pray, Lord, be with me, and I pray with my son. And I'm teaching my kids that. I'm teaching them to have their own independence. When I get to work, my friends, I mean, I'm praying. Um, I'm talking to customers at work, and when I get a break, I'll go in the bathroom and I'll pray. Short prayer. It could be one minute, man. Lord, just thank you for this day. Please keep my thoughts upon you throughout the day. When I'm leaving work, my friends, I pray again. Not long prayers. Father, be with me. I, I de I'm developing a relationship with him so that I, I know his voice. I, when he's talking to me, I know when he's talking to me. 
and when he's not talking to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to cultivate this. We need to have a, a, a connection with Jesus Christ that we have never had throughout the day. And my friends, I will tell you this, your life will change. Let it not be that the last, the last thing that you do before you go to bed at night is the television. Don't fall asleep watching the television. Let the last voice that you hear is the voice of Christ. He said here in conclusion, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. My friends, let's just start a new relationship with Christ. If we never had it before, or if we have and it have been, you know, severed for some reason, or the relationship somehow fell by the wayside, he's the nicest person, the most wonderful person in the world. If we start talking to him, we will see him in everything. Our lives will change. My friends, the writer says that by beholding him, we become changed into his image. Let us be like those five wise virgins that at the time of crisis, we will have oil in our land. Let us be that one. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at saviinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting saviinggracesda.org.